Luke chapter number 12, look at verse 13. We're going to read down through verse 23, if you follow along as I read. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, look at this, thou what? Thou fool. Thou fool. And oftentimes in our life, we get to this point like this man. We make a lot of plans, make a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, predictions. <laughs> How many of you had a lot of plans for 2020? A lot of predictions. Jesus says, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose, notice this, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Then Jesus brings this parable into a application for us. He says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself. It is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither the body for what you shall put on. And would you read verse 23 with me? Ready, begin. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Father, I pray that you'd help with this message tonight. Lord, as we study this man's question, the reaction of you, and Lord, help us to apply this to our own hearts. Lord, I know that many tonight probably are already thinking about tomorrow and a busy week ahead. Lord, I pray that we push all these things out for just a few moments. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we've learned through our study of the parables, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior, He comes to sinners with mercy and grace, with forgiveness and eternal life. He came to bring the good news of salvation, and He, of course, attracted huge crowds doing it. This is where we find Christ. If you look with me uh, up here, just a few uh, verses here at Luke chapter number 1, uh, ver chapter number 12, excuse me, verse 1, it says, In the meantime, they were gathered together, what? An innumerable multitude of people. Jesus was going around, he's healing, he is preaching, he is teaching, and he's amassed as this huge crowd, so much the Bible says that they, trod, they, they, they trampled on each other trying to get to Christ. As the three years of his ministry progresses, it becomes apparent that these people were beginning to reject his message, the message of salvation, the message that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And as they began to reject his message, this crowd begins to buy into the Pharisees' point of view. The Pharisees believed and spread the propaganda that Christ was not of God, but he was of Satan. We talked about that a little bit this morning because... Jesus Christ declared himself to be God. So either Christ was God, or he was of the devil, or he was a lunatic. But they saw his miracles, they saw the things that he did, and so they determined that he was indeed of Satan and not of God. This crowd begins to become hostile. They begin to 
they begin to study Jesus. They begin to look for opportunities to betray him as the Pharisees begin to uh, find fault in him. But in this crowd, just like today, there was still people trying to find out who Jesus was. They were watching the life of Christ. They were watching the miracles. They hadn't made up their decision yet of who he was. And in this world today, we for sure, there are people like that still seeking him, still trying to, trying to decide who Christ is. They know about Christmas. I think about Americans, and we all know that it's about Jesus and a manger and all these things. But many are still trying to decide who is this Christ. Then we get to chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. We get to this point in time of the, the passage here. And we find an interesting interjection. It's kind of like when mom and dad are having a very serious conversation and one of the kids asks about the Nintendo or something. And this guy, he pipes up in verse 13 and he says, and one of the companies said unto him, Master, now picture this. There are, peop- there are multitudes of people thronging Christ, trying to be healed, trying to, all these problems and issues. And this guy calls from the crowd and he says, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. We see a probate pickle. That's number one. Jesus stops and he looks at this man and we see this man calling out for Christ to settle an issue, a probate problem. He's trying to settle the inheritance. And there's one thing I've learned as I've uh, dealt with families and funerals and things like that. Inheritance can be a nasty business. And by the way, Christians should never be that way. And all God's people said, it's better to just say, go ahead and have it than than get into it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, that, you know, but that's all right. Uh, But Jesus, we we see here this multitude thronging Christ. And this guy, he's like, can you imagine this, Brother Ranius? He stops the whole, will you tell my brother to, 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 my, I'm supposed to get the car. And he, you know, and, and can he tell him this? Obviously, this man was a materialist. He's greedy. He's covetous. He wants Jesus to tell his brother what to do. And Christ, in verse 14, he responds to this man in an interesting way, as only Christ can. He says here, and he says unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? We see here letter A in our probate pickle, letter A here. Jesus gives an unsympathetic response. Jesus was not sympathetic to the man's cause. As a matter of fact, we see that with the response in what he calls him. He calls him man. This is not an endearing expression. It's kind of like saying, hey, mister. It's a social distancing term, (laughs) a term you would use to address a stranger. Jesus basically says, I don't know you. Nobody has made me and appoint a judge. Nobody has appointed me that over you. He was unsympathetic towards this man's problem because it was a problem born out of greed and out of covetousness. Of course, Jesus knew the man. Jesus knew his heart, and he was not interested in dealing with this man's greed. And may I just say that Jesus isn't interested in our greed problems either, amen? Oftentimes, I wonder if God is unsympathetic when we pray for that 72-inch flat-screen TV. Jesus gives this unsympathetic response, but also, let her be, Jesus gave an urgent response. Look at verse 15. And he says unto them, he says, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of things which he possesseth. When Jesus says beware, he says it also earlier in the chapter. 
He talks about being aware in verse number one. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. When he says this word, beware, what he's saying, when he says take heed, he's saying, listen up. This is important. This is, uh, don't, don't forget this. Write this down. After hearing this man's request, Christ warns the crowd to beware. How many of you ever been to a house and you walk to the, to the side gate or something, you see that sign? And what does it say? Beware of the cat. No, it says beware of the dog. Amen. What does the beware of dog indicate? It indicates danger. It indicates if you come into my yard, you might get bit. So beware. And so when Christ says beware, he is indicating to the crowd that there is a danger in these things that he's asking to beware. So I see two things in this chapter that Christ says to beware of. Number one, Jesus says to beware of hypocrisy. To beware of hypocrisy. This is in verse number one. Look back to verse number one. It says, these people, they trod upon one another. And he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Which is what? Hypocrisy. We're in verse one of chapter 12 of Luke. Look at verse two. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid, and that shall not be known. Jesus is warning this crowd of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The Pharisees... Uh, held a false religion. They pretended to be one thing, but they were something else altogether. And by the way, may I just say today that the truth is, is that all religion is a hypocrisy-based uh, system of religions. When you try to work your way to heaven, that's a hypocrisy. You can never be good enough to go to heaven. Only The only way you and I will step through the gates of glory is by the grace of Jesus Christ. Because of his blood shed on the cross, his grace, unmerited favor towards us. That is the only way you and I will get to go to heaven. And so the first beware we see is a hypocrisy of hypocrisy. And then the second beware we see is of greed. That's verse 15. He says, beware of the covetousness for a man's life consists not of the abundance of things which he possesseth. If they or you or anyone else wants to receive salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. There are two pervasive and damning forces that must be avoided. Hypocrisy and greed. You might look at those two sins that Jesus mentions and think to yourself, well, that's a little bit random. Why did he choose those two sins out of so many? Jesus doesn't do anything arbitrarily, by the way. He's very intentional. And so these are not randomly selected sample sins among many. Rather, these are two essential realms in which we exist. There are actually only two realms in which we exist, the material realm and the immaterial, the spiritual and the physical, the natural and the supernatural. Hypocrisy relates to the spiritual realm. Greed relates to the material world. Why are these two so important to us? Because both the material and the immaterial world threaten to send you to hell. Many people today, unfortunately, they choose, uh, they choose to, uh, to seek after the things of the world, material wealth and material uh, things, and they choose those things rather than Christ. And then some, they choose hypocrisy over Christ. I'm good enough to go to heaven. I, I, there's no, I'm good enough. I'm not that bad, and I try my best. And these are all hypocritical things. And if you get into wrong spiritual teaching and wrong spiritual influences, your soul will be damned. If you get into wrong physical influences, the wrong, wrong material influences, your soul will be damned. Both the immaterial world, which is basically operated under the power of the prince 
of this air or Satan himself and the immaterial world, both of those worlds that we live in can cause us to go to a devil's hell. Satan, by the way, frankly, he's satisfied to seduce your soul into hell by either a religious deception or natural deception. He doesn't care by what way he seduces you, whether it's seducing you through a works-based salvation or seducing you through what the world has to offer with money and power and all these things and greed. He's fine in sending anyone to a devil's hell. So Jesus picks both of these things and he says, beware. How is the child of God, so for those of us that are saved, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, how are we supposed to respond to riches and money and those types of things? Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6 in your New Testament. Would you turn there, please? 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Try to make some noise with your Bible. There we go. That's better. (laughs) 1 Timothy chapter number 6. It just makes me feel better. Amen. How are we supposed to respond to greed as the children of God? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 6. But godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. For we brought what? Nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, that's an old Bible word for clothing, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We see this man who was in a probate pickle. This is where he stood. He was pierced through with many sorrows. He was so worried about this inheritance, he was missing the fact that Jesus Christ, God of very God, was standing right in front of him. He was so focused on who got the big screen TV and the silverware, he missed the fact that Jesus Christ was standing right in front of him. You see, we as Christians, we as God's people, Jesus is prompting us to beware. Stay away from the realm of greed and hypocrisy. But... This probate pickle also prompts a parable. Say that 10 times fast. We see number two, we see this parable is a pointed parable. So this man brings this question, God, or this request, God, would you, Jesus, would you uh, help with this inheritance issue? And Jesus responds to that request with this parable, and that's the parable that we're going to study here. Look at verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow bestow my fruits. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater, and I'll bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast uh, much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of, of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? There are several important things to consider here in this parable tonight. Letter A, we see an unthoughtful reasoning. This man reasons within himself, but he doesn't really think about the big picture. All he's thinking about is his life. There's something interesting that I see here, and, and, and I, I, I never really thought about it this way before, but this man doesn't do anything necessarily sinful. There's nothing inherently wrong with what this man does. 
It's not wrong to invest. Matter of fact, there's biblical principles about investing. There's nothing wrong with those things and investing. There's nothing wrong with necessarily enjoying life and, and, and making money and all of these things. There is nothing wrong with that. There's no indication that what he did was sinful. As a matter of fact, he might even be considered a good steward over what God had given him. And he was a good businessman. He might have been even a hard worker or diligent. But that wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't that he had money, and the issue wasn't that he made money. The issue was is that he spent all of his money building bigger barns. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Let me illustrate it to you this way. Let's come to our context in our day. Suppose with me that you were renting a house, and the landlord came to you and said, listen, I'm going to sell this house, and you have four months to move out. Okay, everybody with me? Hope this has never happened to you. <laughs> but you're renting a house. The house does not belong to you. It belongs to who? The landlord. And they come to you and say, hey, listen, I need to sell. You have four months. So for the next four months, you take a side job. You borrow money from your 401k. You max out your credit cards. You spend everything that you have and everything that you don't have, and you spend it not for a down payment on a new house, but remodeling your rental. You replace the carpet, you paint the whole house, uh, you replace the windows, you replace the roof, you buy new, new appliances and you do all these things. And you basically spend your entire, you know, all of your money fixing this rental. Then the four months goes by and the landlord knocks on your door, opens the house and says, wow, this is amazing. The new tenant's really going to enjoy this. This is what Jesus is saying to this man. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine Jesus saying to you, that's foolish. Why do we spend our entire lives earning money to remodel someone else's house? Now, I understand you want the house that you live in, whether it's a rental or not, to be nice. And there's nothing wrong with having a nice house. And we all know these things. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with having money and those kinds of things. But we need to keep in mind and what Jesus was reiterating in this parable is that we are just renting here. And all God's people said, I mean, did I, did, did, didn't Jesus say we're just pilgrims? We're just passing through and this is not our home. We're just a passing through. We're just renting here. Matthew chapter number six. Would you go there? Let's look at something else that Jesus said. This is what this parable is really centered around this thought. Look at Matthew chapter number six. Look at verse 27. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Which of you, taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Wherefore, what does he say? Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things to the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things shall be added unto you. It's not a question of what you have. It's a question of your priorities. All these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Many Americans today are living the American dream. They work hard for 30 or 40 years. They retire, move to Florida and collect seashells. And then death comes. 
and the seashells go in the garbage can. I'm not trying to depress anybody tonight, but may I say there's something more to life than seashells. You know what God's people said? Amen. Amen. We were put here on this earth not to collect seashells. By the way, if you have some seashells in the back of your toilet tonight, forgive me. I'm not busting you about that. All I'm saying is that's not the point of life is to retire and live on a beach. The point why we're here is to glorify God Almighty in our bodies and in our spirits, which are God's. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to tell people not to invest because other parts of Scripture tell us that we're supposed to be wise with our money. That's not what he was preaching here. What Jesus was trying to tell us is letter B. We see an unfortunate reality. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall be those things which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure, what? For himself. For himself. He is not rich towards God. Here is the reality, Christ says, life is short. How many of you seasoned Christians would say, Pastor, life is short? Every week, almost like clockwork, every week, Brother Bruce, someone says to me, don't get old, Pastor. Don't get old. It's not working. I'm getting old. We can't stop it. We can't stop it. Life is short. Can I ask you a question tonight? Is your entire life's goal collecting seashells? Many of us have a bucket list. Some of us have a bucket list, and you know where that comes from. Things I want to do before you what? Kick the bucket, amen? Whether it's skydiving or hiking Mount Everest, visiting Scotland, we all have different things. But can I ask a question? Why is our bucket list only doing things for ourselves? Don't we realize that once we're in heaven, all those things that we work so hard to achieve, most of the time won't amount to anything? Have you ever thought that when we get to heaven, it'll be a new heaven and a new earth? And yeah, you might want to go skydiving here, but in heaven, you'll actually be flying. There's going to be a wonderful time, eternity to enjoy. We only have a short period of time here on earth to serve our Lord. So maybe it's time that we kick the bucket list, not kick the bucket, amen? Kick the bucket list. How about we spend our time serving Jesus until he calls us home? You see, Jesus is telling us through this parable, it's not about what we put for ourselves, Laying up for ourselves. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where thief and rust doth not corrupt, and where the thief does not break through and steal. What Jesus is trying to teach us is, let's not build bigger barns here. Let's throw up some treasures up into heaven, so when we get there, we can rejoice over those things. That might mean serving in the bus ministry on a Saturday instead of watching the game. That might mean serving in a nursery on Sunday instead of getting home early. That might mean giving extra to the building or the missions or whatever that the giving is instead of buying a bigger television. That might mean going soul winning instead of getting overtime. He that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We see that this probate problem led to this pointed parable. And then lastly tonight, we see that Christ, he gives us a purpose proclaimed. He proclaims a purpose. Look at verse 22 with me. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, as he wraps up this parable, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on, the life. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. The age-old question that humans have been asking ever since they could think to ask it is, What am I here for? Why am I here? 
What's my purpose in life? God, why did you create me? Why did you leave me here? I've had people tell me, I don't know why God has left me here. I don't know why God has put me here. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat and what you shall wear, that life is more than meat and life is more than clothes. How many tonight recognize that life without Christ and his purpose is purposeless? Oh, I'm so grieved at people who spend their whole lives laying up treasures for themselves. And some say, well, I'm leaving treasures for my children. And and I think that that's a wonderful aspiration is to leave something to your kids or the next generation. But how many understand they're probably just going to blow it, amen? So we understand tonight that in our lives, only what's done for Christ will last. The parable that Christ gives is pointed. It points to the fact that every expense made here on earth borrows from the life to come. Perhaps some of us tonight are playing the probate game. We care so much about the stuff in the garage. But may I just remind you, you're not taking anything with you. Tonight, I want to consider one last thought with one last illustration. And here's the question with the illustration. Here's the question. What are you spending your extra on? See, this man took all of his extra and he said, here's what I'm going to do with my extra. He had enough, and all God's people said, he had enough for his family, he had enough, and he, took, and he tore down his barns, and he took all of his extra for himself. What do we spend our extra on? We have extra things in our life, whether it's extra time, extra money, extra talents, extra things. You might be thinking to yourself, Pastor, I don't have any extra. Don't lie to yourself, we all have extras. I said, we all have extras. And all God's people said, if we didn't have extra, there would be no Starbucks, there'd be no McDonald's. And I'm sorry, but there'd be no Joanne Fabrics. Amen. (laughs) I just lost some of the ladies there. Don't. So here's a thought for you. There's 168 hours in a week. Conservatively speaking, you spend seven hours a night sleeping, some more, some less. That's about 49 hours a week. Let's say you spend an hour and a half or so getting ready for work and, you know, relaxing when you first get home from work. That's about 10 and a half hours a week. Let's say you spend 50 hours a week working, whether it's working or working and commuting. I know some do that more and some less, but in all, all these things being equal, we spend about 109 and a half hours a week doing all of these things. If there's 168 hours a week, that means we have almost 60 hours left extra in a week. 60 hours. You say, well, pastor, I'm spending four hours a week in church. That's still... 50-something hours a week. The question is, is how are we investing our extra, our extra time, our extra money that God, by the way, all comes from the Lord? And all God's people said, amen. Amen. How are we giving our extra? How are we investing in our extra? And listen, I'm I'm not bashing you. You go on vacation, these things, please don't get me wrong. But God provides extra for us sometimes, not to lay up for ourselves, but to lay up treasures in heaven. Amen. Don't take it from me tonight, but listen to the words of your Savior as I close. Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That is the summation of this parable tonight. Perhaps some of us need to spend a little bit less time fixing up the rental and more time getting ready to move. Amen? 